Hello, Cleveland, and welcome back to another edition of the Dogland Podcast. Uh, we keep saying we might take a vacation break, but the Cleveland Browns are not letting us do that by any means. Uh, got a good episode planned for you today. I am Jax McCurry, joined as always by Anthony Jokey. First of all, Anthony, how you doing, brother? You know, we might not get a vacation break. I'm on vacation from work this week and next week, but I tell you, these Browns are keeping us busy, and I don't mind it. Right. Even if they don't do anything, there's so much to talk about. Uh, and we're in the, we're getting ready to hit June. Obviously OTAs are going on this week, mini camps next week. Uh, but the Browns, the rumor mill just keeps churning. Uh, but we do have a special guest on tonight's episode. Uh, he is a former colleague of ours here at the dog land. Uh, still a great friend. He's doing fantastic work uh, with the rest of the crew over at the OBR. Uh, it's none other than our good buddy, Jack Duffin. Jack, how are you? I'm good. Um, th- this offseason just keeps rolling. So uh, exciting times. And uh, hey, I-, I feel sorry for Bengals fans. They must be bored all year round. They don't do anything in free agency. There's nothing going on. Whereas Browns fans, it's like, hey, 365 days a year. We've got stuff happening. Well, right. you have to have you have to have money to spend it and they don't. Yep. Yeah, it helps when we have a billionaire owner who isn't afraid to spend and they have a owner that doesn't spend at all. So yeah, it's tough to be a Bengals fan, that's for sure. But uh speaking of spending, the Browns keep spending and they keep making things happen. Uh Jack, you just dropped a fantastic article Wednesday morning talking about the Zadarius Smith contract. Obviously, I think a lot of us are still uh, shocked that they pulled this trade off with Minnesota to bring Zadarius Smith to pay, pair up with Miles Garrett. Uh, we got the details of the contract through over the cap. You wrote a fantastic article talking about how the Browns were able to make this deal happen, to squeeze it in in the salary cap. It's a fascinating article. You go into detail about how much money the Browns have left, how they rework Smith's deal. This year, we all know that they they reworked the deal. He'll be a free agent next year. It's a $3 million cap charge. Now, obviously, I think it's, what, $11.5 million they've given him in cash? Ten and a half. Ten so and it's a half $10.5 we can get into the weird stuff yeah. that happens in year two in his second year of the contract. But yeah, 10 and a half is what the Browns are paying him. And then there's some that is obviously being covered on top of that by the Vikings at 1.177. Yeah. So they got 10 and a half million in cash coming his way. The Browns cap charge is at 3 million, but then it gets interesting next year because he's on the books for 3 million again. Um, but it's a, essentially a void year we all know that he he took he took he reworked his contract so that a he could become a free agent and b he can come to cleveland um so go into that detail where the browns reworked this deal uh adding the void years the dummy years to make this work financially for them and for zadarius smith to hit the open market once again yeah, so what we'd normally see is a it's still a one-year deal and there's four void years on the back. And the reason teams do that is just to spread that um, signing bonus money out. So we would have had um, three million effectively in the first year and then there's about seven and a half million left as dead cap in year two. But what the Browns have done is they've actually added effectively a full second year to this deal. So he's actually under contract for next season as well. But what they've got in that is it will probably automatically void on, say, the second day of the um, league year next year, which allows them on the first day of the new league year to do exactly what they did with Davion Clowney, 
which it wasn't a one-year deal. It was actually a two-year deal. Um, and it's the same here. It's He's under contract for two years, but probably the second day, it will automatically void. But what they'll do on the first day is give him a post-June 1st cut. Um, and what that means, so that's still seven and a half million of dead cap is going to hit the books, but they will have 1.9 million of it roughly in 2024. And then in 2025, you'll get 5.6 million. So all it's doing is spreading out that same 10 and a half million that they're going to pay him because that's the cash payment to him this year. And he'll get that money this year. But rather than it happening one year, Many teams have done two years. The Browns and the Eagles are probably the prime examples of this. They're allowing to spread that cap hit over three years. So two years after he's left the team, there's still that money there. And so with that, the Browns now sit at 4.9 million in cap space, according to over the cap. There's a, and obviously we know there's money coming onto the, added cap space is coming Friday. There's weird numbers being floated around. Field Yates posted today that the Browns were getting 10.9 million in cap space, but I seen that you had an $8.8 million cap number that's coming. Can you explain that to the Browns fans that might be confused? Because for so long, we thought we were getting close to $11 million in cap space with John Johnson and Jadevian Clowney coming off the books. But now that number has kind of changed. Can you explain that to the Browns fans? Yeah, so it's the difference here between sort of gross and then the actual net amount. In the same way, say we go out and sign a guy um, for 10 million a year. Well, take Zedaria Smith. His cap hit is 3 million roughly a year. When you sign him, you're not actually adding that 3 million cap hit onto the salary cap. You're just looking at the net impact. So you're adding him on at three, but you're taking a guy off the bottom that's effectively 1 million. So the net impact is 2 million. Um, and it's exactly the same here. Um, John Johnson leaving frees up 9.75 million. Clowney leaving frees up 1.165 million. So that's where Phil Yates has got his numbers from. But then at that point, you've only got 49 players on the roster. So you have to add the two next most expensive deals that don't make the threshold back in, which is Cedric Tillman. And then you've got a choice of several players that are each on just over 1 million. Um, you add one of them in and that's where that 8.9 million comes from because you need to look at the net um, there's no point looking at hey you've got this much cap space and you're adding that much you've got to keep at 51 players um, when you get to the end of the off season it becomes 53 um, so we need a little bit of money there we can't blow this whole what is it 8.8 .8 plus 4.9 12 13 and a half million roughly we cannot blow that one. We do need that. That's practice squad. That's the 52nd, 53rd player. That's IR during the season. If someone goes down, you've got to sign someone else. Practice squad elevations. All that stuff costs. And if you spend all that money, we're not going to have a practice squad for the entire season. I know over the last few years, they've had a good job in rolling over cap from the previous year. And, you know, you see, you say that number around that 9 million there. Um, do you think that, and you mentioned to go down a little bit from the, the practice squad and other stuff, but do you think they're going to try to save it? Because, you know, there's all, you know, plenty of rumors out there of maybe adding a running back, maybe adding a receiver, et cetera. Um, or do you feel maybe they could restructure a couple, just so a couple of contracts that they have 
just so they can add a little bit more to roll over in the next year. Yeah, personally, I think it if they had no pressure on them from media fans and what creating a load of cap space does, they would go out and restructure Miles Garrett, uh, Cooper, um, Wyatt Teller, Batonio, literally all of these guys, and just move the can down the road. Because effectively, as long as you don't go out and blow that money now, there is no, it actually works in your favor to have maximum flexibility and keep pushing every single contract. Even a player like Wyatt Teller that you might move on in a year's time, free up that money now, it's the right thing to do. The issue is when they go out and do that, suddenly the, the media goes into overdrive, fans' expectation goes up that got to spend this money, got to spend this money. They didn't spend this money, sack the GM, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of, I think, why more teams don't go out and do that because there is the danger of once you do it, the pressure's on, there's expectations rise, whereas good cap management would say do that move. So I think there'll be a balancing act. It wouldn't surprise me if they eventually do one of these deals. Um just to have plenty of space through the season, especially if they go after um, Hopkins or a big move in addition. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me now if this roster's pretty much done. Um, you'll get a little bit of money back. Say you bring in a cheap tight end and Harrison Bryant goes, well, that's net like one and a half million saved extra. Um, so I think there'll be some minor tweaks, but I, I think the roster's probably there. There's also that, uh, you know, the mid-season trade deadline where, you know, you might have to add something based on an injury or, you know, something's not working out. So it'd be good to maybe save that for that occasion as well uh, if that situation pops up. 100%. And that's why I'd maximize with the restructures now because the restructure is just changing base salary and signing bonus. The issue is if you're halfway through the season and you do that, there is less base salary of a Miles Garrett because half of the base salary you've already given him, you can't then restructure what he's been paid. So if you did that now, you're going to get twice the amount of flexibility than doing it halfway through the season. Um, but I, I think expectations is uh, the, the issue there. And Andrew Berry has to act in self-preservation um, rather than the optimal move, which would be restructure of several of these big deals and sit there again they should easily be sat there with like 40 million of cap space. Obviously, you might want to wait until the end of the um, sort of off-season for that. Part of the reason why, because if some, if say all of these free agents um, are still out there looking and suddenly you free up 40, 50 million, agents might be looking and going, no, you can give us some more, you can give us some more. So they might wait and do this right before um, or even after roster cutdown, because you could do it after the cutdown and you know this player is definitely making your week one team, and then you do it. Um, who knows? They might surprise us, but a really analytically smart team would do that. Yeah, that's all. It's really fascinating. Uh, it's really amazing what they were able to do because, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the offseason that they were going to have to restructure these deals to create cap space to get free agents. And all they did was restructure Deshaun Watson. And they were able to add so much talent to this roster uh, and still have money left over. Not to mention, like you said, eight, nine million dollars is coming on Friday. That's going to give them more flexibility to make moves. It, it's so fascinating. Oh, and then we'll be in the same next year where um, the Zadarius Smith post-June 1st cut um, would only free up that 1.2 mil uh, roughly. So that's not going to be a big um 
saving. Uh, yeah, 1.21. So that's going to be minor. White Teller obviously is one that they could then do in a year's time as a post-June first cut. Showing allowed two a year. Um, but they'll, they'll keep freeing up some space. So obviously the big news this week uh, started last Friday. Arizona shocked everybody where they just cut DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, there was trade talks during the during the offseason, mainly with Buffalo and Kansas City, but no deal was made. So they they cut him and leave twenty one million dollars in dead cap, which I didn't realize until today when I was listening to Joel Corey that Arizona had already used both post June first cuts, so they could not use a post June first designation on DeAndre Hopkins. So they eat the twenty one million dollar dead cap hit. So now Hopkins is officially a free agent as a as of Tuesday night. We know Kansas City and Buffalo are con- still considered the front runners for him. New England's in the mix. There's other sneaky teams. But a team that keeps getting brought up because of the connection with Deshaun Watson, because of the fact that they will have some extra cap space, the Cleveland Browns are in the mix for him. Uh, you know, Watson has lobbied for him publicly. Other players, you've seen Zadarius Smith and I think a couple other players on social media were tweeting, telling them to come to Cleveland. The Browns are in the mix. And from all accounts, the interest is real on both sides. I look at it like this, and we'll go around the with each of you guys and how you feel about it. I think if DeAndre Hopkins wants to come to the Browns, cool. He adds another weapon to the offense for Deshaun Watson, adds more depth to the wide receiver room. But even if they don't add him, I feel really good about this wide receiver room going into the season. Uh, We've kind of said since the draft that the top six receivers, the whole room was essentially locked in. So if they add DeAndre Hopkins, who's had a great Hall of Fame type career so far, obviously he's on the wrong side of 30, but adding him when he had a, you know, a couple down years in Arizona, but can still play. I think this would be a crazy move uh, in June for the Browns to make. Anthony or Jack, you can go first. It don't matter. So I, th- I think for me here is what player you're actually getting. Many people remember the highs of Hopkins, but if we look back all the way to 2015, we've got four individual players aged over 31, um, no, 31 or over that have, got more than a 1,000 yards in a season. That's not great. And only one of them has done it multiple times, and that was Larry Fitzgerald done it three times. Julian Edelman was the most recent in 2019. Um, And then you've got Brandon Marshall and Jordy Nelson. And that's kind of my fear is we're trading for a guy that, if we're going to be realistic, probably eight to 900 yards. Is is it all that, what you're going to then have to financially give up for him? Um, and at the same time as a financial commitment, and I think 25 million over two years is probably a, re- a realistic number um, for what he could cost. Um, he might want more than that, and it'll be interesting to see because there's, there's been both sides briefing that he wants to get paid, and there's other sides saying, hey, he don't want to get paid, he wants to go cheap. Um, how cheap's actual cheap? Uh, we'll find out soon. Um so the question is what you're going to get. And people point to, oh, he got so many yards last year. He got an ungodly target share last year. And that's something that people kind of skate over and goes, oh, look how many yards he got. He's not going to get that level of target share in Cleveland in this offense. And if that is the case, you're giving him that many, you may as well get rid of Amari Cooper because if you're going to give like 40% of targets, I think it was something nuts like that, to Hopkins, you don't need any other wide receivers. Um, 
And then you're going to have to get rid of somebody because there is no point sat there with four starting level wide receivers because someone is going to be unhappy. Elijah Moore got his way out of New York because he wasn't getting the targets that he wanted. So DPJ in a contract year is not going to be happy, sat on the bench other than maybe a 20, 30% of the time, unless there's an injury. So I think he's the most likely one you trade, probably get a fourth round pick next year. And he's only got one year left, so there's not much value there. Um, and and then the cut to balance the cost. If you're bringing in 25 million of player over two years, is that rather than have Amari Cooper for two more years, you have Amari Cooper and Hopkins this year, and next year you move on from um, Cooper and you just have Hopkins and Elijah Moore and whoever else. And that that's sort of the well, what's the knock-on impact of this move. Um, so for me, I just, it would be really fun. And if he is actually talking about the cheap and we're talking about seven and a half mil with incentives to get up to 10, one year deal, I, I can sort of get there because you're looking at maybe a chub you get rid of next year. Whereas if we're talking 25 mil over two with some incentives on top, it's, it's getting pricey and the knock on impact w- would be painful um, because it's not just about 2023. Beating Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs is going to need luck. So give me two, three years where we might get lucky, then it's all in and then blow it up like the Saints, the Rams. Um, And the Rams might have won a Super Bowl, but they were an ungodly drop from the 49ers. Else we are talking about them as the glowing example of how not to build an NFL team. Um, Because, yeah, how we drop that ball, I still do not know. Yeah, Hopkins will be really interesting. And, you know, there's that obvious connection with, with Watson in the past and looking at those numbers, you couldn't help but get excited uh, with those, you know, those years in Houston that he was there, uh, you know, uh, eclipsing over a thousand yards, uh, I think five or six of those years he was in Houston. Um, you know, that, that's something to get excited about. But you're, Jack is right. You're not going to get that kind of production in this offense. Um, with, you know, guys like Amari Cooper, Peoples Jones, Elijah Moore, um, and you have other guys below like Goodwin and, and David Bell that are, are looking to make an impact as well. So what are you really going to get out of this for the cost? And, and Jack hit a lot of those points uh, on the head here. So I, I'm all for it, but if you do make this signing um, – does that create a lot more pressure on this team? Because it really signifies that, hey, we are all in. It's Super Bowl or bust. And if you barely make it into the playoffs or miss the playoffs, you know, the season could be, you know, deemed a failure. So where does this signing kind of put, you know, move the needle on that? And um, I think the receiver group is good right now. Um, I would rather add um, maybe maybe a running back, maybe a linebacker, just to round things out a little bit because there's you know worries there uh, for me. But um, you know, I look if they manage to pull it off, I would be excited. If they don't, that's perfectly okay. So either side of the fence, I'm on here, and and I'm all right with that. Yeah, I think. I think a lot of Browns fans feel that way. I think, you know, the lore that DeAndre Hopkins brings, obviously he's been a multiple time all pro. I'm not bringing up Pro Bowl because I think that's a meaningless uh, accolade to uh, be recognized for now. But 
he's made a great impact, whether he was in Houston, his first season in Arizona was great. Obviously, the last two years, 2021, he was injured. 2022, he missed the first six games because of PEDs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's questions and concerns about him. Obviously, he's very outspoken uh, before his exit in Arizona, listing quarterbacks he'd like to play for. I do find it funny that he didn't mention Watson among the top five, but uh, I, there's mutual interest in reuniting with him in Cleveland. So, you know, it, it's a fascination. But yeah, like Anthony said, if he comes here, awesome. If not, we're okay. I feel really good about Cooper, Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, Marquise Goodwin, David Bell still, even though some people are really down on him because of a lackluster rookie year, which I think we all kind of, uh, most of us set high expectations last year. So I just think it's it's a win-win. If we don't, if we get him, it's awesome. Adds more depth to the receiver room. If not, I still feel really good about the receiver room heading into 2023. Jack. What do you think the contract would look like hypothetically for DeAndre Hopkins? Because a lot of people are saying it's got to look like the Odell Beckham contract that he got uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. But we're in June. Yes, there's teams with cap space, but a lot of those teams are bad teams. Uh, I think Detroit's probably the one like the sneaky team that has cap space and that needs a receiver like Hopkins that could make a move there. But what do you think the contract hypothetically could look like for a DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, I, th I think it could be one where we're talking about sort of two-year guarantees of, say, 25 mil and maybe some incentives of 5 mil on top where he can make that up and get to sort of 15 mil a year. Um, there obviously weren't the appetite to pay him 19 and a half mil a year, so I think that's probably where you're looking at he's not going to get that much. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think around that 25 million over two where – there's some incentives in there for sort of an extra two and a half each year. Um, but yeah, to, to throw a question back in, and I'll just to quickly touch on David Bell, because I did a piece um, last week looking at expectations for Tillman in his rookie year and looking at the last five years of third round wide receivers, pretty much bang on average is David Bell, which was really interesting to note that that is sort of the average rookie expectation for a third round pick at wide receiver. The question I've got for you two is how many minutes after filming this podcast is Hopkins going to sign with somebody? Because it tends to be the, the podcasting curse whenever you chat about a player. They sign literally seconds after you finish podcasting. It'll be 10 minutes. It never fails with us. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it won't be long. The only time we did something before was the OBJ trade. We recorded right after that happened. And then we recorded right after Sashi Brown got fired. Those are the only two times. Oh, and Hugh. Oh, Hugh Jackson. We did. We also had uh, uh, the Elijah Moore trade break when we were recording uh, a little bit yeah. ago. Yeah, we, we, uh, we were recording while the Elijah Moore trade happened. So that was the, but Hugh Jackson, we recorded an episode. Hugh got fired. So then we had to put two episodes together and then the other ones happened before or after the recording. So it was, yeah. It's yeah, always we, happening. We were recording with the OPJ trade and it was like, we finished the podcast and my closing remark was basically, hasn't happened by now, get over it, it's not happening, move on. And it was in the process of just downloading. So we'd recorded it and it wasn't even, we were still recording, we'd stopped recording. It's in the downloading phase before it finished downloading and then the tweet came through. <laughs> so looking at the wide receiver room, if this were to happen, 
I I know a lot of people are going to say DPJ has to go out. Some people say maybe David Bell would go out. Jack, do you think there's any way that they would keep the six they have now, the six locks we think? Do you think even if they added DeAndre Hopkins that they would make something, they would make it work to where they keep seven receivers? Just because of Hopkins, I'm looking at his injury history. He's got a lengthy one of a lot of hamstring strains and, you know, knee issues and stuff. And obviously Cooper's coming off core muscle surgery. Goodwin's had his injuries. I mean, is there any way you think they could somehow finagle seven wide receivers on this roster? I don't think they would just because of the locker room chemistry. Um, If you were going to just get rid of a player, it'd be Goodwin just because he's probably the least talented or least upside in that group but i just think the dynamic means you've got to get rid of dpj um and that's nothing against dpj you've just got to accept that he's in a contract year and keeping him and stashing him as your fourth wide receiver where he, probably 20 percent on the field that's just going to destroy his earning capability in the off season and that kind of stuff sits badly with other agents where people are going nah, I, don't, I don't know if i want my guys going to cleveland whereas if you trade him it builds that really good narrative and some people might say screw the agents but when it comes to free agency and you're dealing with the agency that represents dpj or other agencies and they're going no look look what they did to that guy you don't want that narrative building around you because then agents are saying you don't want to go there as a player. Just they, they, they don't do that by their players, right? So stuff like what they've done with OBJ in the past for allowing him to move on, that sort of stuff builds good narrative and is, is why Browns are comfortably around good discussions and getting the choice of great free agents because they're building that long-term relationship. And, and it's funny because as of yesterday, DeAndre Hopkins and Donovan Peoples-Jones share the same agent now. They're both represented by Clutch, and it's the same guy who's based out of Cleveland who actually, you know, represents like four or five Cleveland Browns now, which is it's, it's a whole interesting dynamic. So I wonder if the agent's working with Andrew Barry saying, yeah, DeAndre wants to come to Cleveland, but can you do right by Donovan and get him on a team where he can, you know, still establish himself and get a nice contract, whether it's from that team or set himself up nice for free agency next year? Yeah, no, without a doubt. And the last thing Elijah Moore wants is you tell Elijah Moore, hey, you battle with DPJ to be that third wide receiver. That is not going down well. Um, so, it, yeah, you've got to balance that locker room dynamic with what you want. Because, hey, wh- who wouldn't love 53 studs on the roster? But you then end up with unhappy guys that are held against their will. And you probably won't ever hear DPJ come out and demand a trade or anything like that. I I don't expect it to be that dynamic. I think it's one where the team would just do right by him, go around. It might take a couple of weeks just to find that value, and then they'd make the move. Yeah, it's not Madden where you can throw all the talent on one team and you can't deal with the personalities because the personalities are always going to be there. What do you think the the long-term outlook is of this wide receiver room? Because you have guys, even if they bring in Hopkins or if they don't, but you have Cooper for two more years. You have DPJ for a year. You just drafted Tillman. Uh, David Bell is going into second year. So you have all these guys that are probably, you know, their contracts are up within the next couple of seasons. What's the long-term outlook of this position? Yeah, so let, let's deal with those sort of the two main guys at the moment. So as it stands with the current room, I think Cooper's got two years left. Donovan Peoples-Jones probably got one year left. 
Um, and that's just what they're under contract for. Um, I don't see an extension for DPJ. Um, they might do it, but I think 10, 12 and a half mil is probably where his fair market value is. And the issue is, do you really want to pay 10 million a year for that? If you can get at least 90% out of him in Tillman in a year's time. So I think that's one way you move on. Obviously, if you add Hopkins, then you're probably talking about two years of Hopkins. DPJ has gone now and only one year of Cooper. But effectively, those, those top two wide receivers, that's where it balances. Um, then Elijah Moore's got two years left. Um, I think in a year's time, they'd ideally probably look to extend him if he plays well this year. So big year for him. The most important year for any player in their NFL time is year three, because that's where a team decides, hey, we're going to pay you in this offseason, or we're going to start repairing to replace you. Um, I think you've got Tillman that what they would love is to do a year and then step up and replace DPJ. Even if he's wide receiver three on the depth chart, he can bring in and provide that level of play to sort of Cooper, uh, Moore and DPJ. That gives us uh, DPJ Tillman. That gives them that nice transition. Um, David Bell, I think the goal for him is probably just to be a, a wide receiver four. And I think if he's just a wide receiver four, that's a good return for a third round pick and a late third in that. Um, so I, I think that's probably the goal for him this year, just to show something and next year, just be that guy that goes, hey, we'll get 500 yards a year out of him. He's getting rotated in when we've got injuries or we want to do certain stuff. Goodwin's just a one-year flyer. A name to keep an eye on for free agency next year that I like if they go the Cooper route and we don't have any Hopkins. Do you, DJ Shark, um, potentially at 5 million a year, I think could look really nicely if we're looking at that 2024 wide receiver room of Cooper, Moore, Tillman, Bell, um, DJ Shark, and another rookie, potentially in the third round yet again. That room is then, it's nice and it's transitioning and you're preparing in advance. It's not one where we're letting loads of players go and then great, we need to draft a, uh, a third round rookie. We're drafting guys now so that we can get a smooth transition out of Cooper, out of DPJ, and, and set up this room for the long term. Yeah, and we know that the Browns have been interested in DJ Chark the last couple of seasons. Um, we know Andrew Barry likes him, so that could be a potential fit there between the Browns and Chark if he gets the free agency again next year. Um, so say they don't sign DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I did find it interesting, and we brought this up before we were recording, Cordero Patterson's name was brought up several times during Cleveland Browns daily on Tuesday during while they were at their charity golf outing. Um, I know Jared Mueller, a former colleague at dogs by nature um, mentioned it as a potential trade target because of his post June one money kind of frees up. I know he's making around 4 million. The Browns haven't added a veteran running back yet. Do you see that as a possibility uh, that the Browns, if the Falcons cut him, I think it's a no-brainer that the Browns should bring him in. But do you see a potential like late draft pick swap type of trade for uh, a Cordero Patterson who would really shore up that running back room uh, with Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford? Yeah, I I just think four point two five million, and that's what the Browns would take on if they trade for him. There's no guarantees in that, so it's not one where it's in. Atlanta's interested tool to eat that money unless we're giving them more valuable trade picks, which we wouldn't want to do. Um, so there's no incentive for them to eat money. So if they, I can't see us trading 4.25 mil for a backup running back. 
hey, they did pay 6.25 million for Hunt, and I didn't think they would do that last year. So they have been more willing to spend a backup running back than I would. Um, but if he's cut, I think that's certainly one where they would look to go after him. Maybe even if they, if Atlanta are happy to sound offers and see what's out there, they could certainly go to him and go, look, we're going to guarantee you 2.125 million. So half of what you're getting will guarantee that. And then let's do incentives so you can get back up to 4.25 million, uh, 4.25 million in, in total. And those could be incentives that he's only going to get if like Nick Chubb's out injured because he would need that level of volume to get there. Um, could certainly be a way they go. Um, and that might be one that he looks at and goes, yeah, I'll take that um, and bets on himself. So I can't see him at that number. But they could do some tricky stuff and um and get that down. And I, I think they'd happily pay two and a half mil um in guarantees to get a solid second running back that who knows that that allows them to transition better if suddenly Ford looks really good, Patterson is playing well on the cheap, you then start getting in discussions of do you want to pay twelve point two million to a certain running back next year? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I expect them I think to keep both for two years. Um if- with uh with Patterson, definitely versatile uh, with what he can do. Um, are there any other running backs out there you have on your list uh, that would still be a good fit, or are we kind of in the running back uh, spot, maybe waiting for roster cutdowns to see who might be out there uh, when those final fifty three uh, rosters come down? Yeah, so I think Patterson's obviously one they could wait till much nearer that point. Um, I don't think you're going to get too many like intriguing running backs as such to, to come in and be the two. If you were looking for a three, you could probably get there. Um, Justin Jackson's one that I would just go out and sign now. Um, I wouldn't put any guarantees in the deal, but bring him in because that gives you that option that you're happy then with what you've got, but you can keep going for better. And that's why sometimes it helps not to sign players um, because that allows you just to maximize whatever happens on the market. Um and then, yeah, it's, hey, at this point, if something happened to a chub, there's Zeke's, there, there's Fournette's. You can go out and you can get somebody um, to do that. I think tight end three is certainly one I think roster cut down is most likely to be when that move might happen. Um, they might bring in someone in the meantime, but I think you wait until then because if t- generally teams around the league are only rostering three, you're probably going to get somebody out there that's interesting. And tight end three it's a red shirt position. That guy is not seeing the field unless someone gets injured. So you can afford to go out and get someone that might be drafted this year, might have been drafted a year ago and just sort of bring them in and see, and maybe cycle through three or four of them across the season um, and see what sticks, what goes well, because you're trying to develop that guy to be a backup in a, in two years time, really. So um, yeah, well, one to keep an eye on. I think tight end three, definitely for cut down time. Yeah. With, with, Go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna say with tight ends, you know, with the way I think this offense is gonna evolve, we're going from less two tight end sets to more of one tight end, and obviously that being mostly Najoku. Um, and if they want to bring in extra people when they want to run the ball, this gonna be the extra offensive lineman that they, um, you know, have plenty of and you know, uh, play so well for this team. So, you know, there's there's that aspect of it as well. So that's definitely. You know, tight end three, like you said, it's a redshirt spot. 
um, because Harrison Bryant's in the last year of his deal and then a couple of other guys that they brought in, uh, they'll be fighting for that spot as well. So, um, you know, you have to look at that when you uh, look at the tight ends. Last question for me, Jack, uh, in terms of other free agents that are still out there, who would be like, if it's a position or a specific player, who would be someone that, A, you can't believe is still available, and B, you want the Browns to bring in? Oh, it's, it's a defensive tackle without a doubt because it's the only position that you're genuinely going to add as a free agent that starts and is a massive upgrade over what you've got. Um, and yeah, it's Matt Ioannidis, Shelby Harris. One of those two guys comes in and replaces Jordan Elliott. Um, that it's a significant difference for me. That makes a much bigger impact than DPJ to Hopkins. Hopkins is great, but DPJ to Hopkins versus Jordan Elliott to Matt Ioannidis, I know which one I'm going, yeah, I feel happy with every single starting spot. The idea that Hopkins means you're going to see Jordan Elliott playing 600 snaps this year does not fill me with hope. Um, So I would definitely look to that as a direction. And neither of those moves is going to change whether you win a Super Bowl or not. It's just not the, it's not impactful a position enough, but it might give you that extra little piece. So I would say that's definitely the spot where I would love to see a move. Um, And yeah, every other roster spot in terms of starter, I've got no issue with the team. And Schwartz was speaking again about how much he likes um, Jordan Elliott. So that stuff just, just bothers me. Um, because I don't get what they see. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm I, outside of Ika and Tomlinson. I don't feel good about the D tackle room. I've said, you know, Hill and Hurst were the lottery tickets at that position. And then, you know, maybe Jordan Elliott needed better coaching. Maybe Chris Kevin was so bad that Jim Schwartz is going to get this potential that we saw in Jordan Elliott coming out of Missouri a couple years ago. It's finally going to be unleashed this year. I'm not convinced. I'm with you. Matt Ioannidis, Shelby Harris. And when training camp opens, I'm keeping an eye on the Dominican Sue because he said he's going to look and see what's out there once training camp opens and then sign with the team. We know that your colleague Brad Stainbrook reported that they touched base before the draft. So we'll see what happens with him as well. But yeah, I definitely think uh, defensive tackle is still the position they need to address a little bit more before they head into the season. Yeah, and it, it's mad that Indominus Sue is probably going to get the same money Jordan Elliott's going to play for this year. So it's one where you're, you're not making a financial commitment. That, that is a net zero move, and you're going to get better play. Yeah. And we'll just see how long he waits. I think he's going to wait like he did last year, as long as he can, uh, to, to pick a team, you know, to, uh, to see where he wants to go. You know, the interesting thing, I wonder – and I think it's going to be significant, but we know what the O-line was before Callahan got here. And I wonder how much Swartz and crew are going to be able to make that kind of impact on the defensive line. And if they're able to make that same kind of impact uh, on guys like Jordan Elliott and even Miles, you know, unlocking that next tier uh, of player, that's going to go a long way for this defense. And those are the kinds of things that gets me excited. Yeah, I, th- I think that group of that group of talent around Miles is is so significantly improved. You've you've got two top ten edge rushers in terms of pressure. You've got the twenty second best edge in terms of pressure as a rotational piece. Um, I think you're now really happy with that edge room. Um, it's just going to come down to the defensive tackles because 
Tomlinson's great. He's going to play probably 55% of snaps. So what's going to happen on these other 45? Um, because that is a serious uh, concern. Whereas Miles Garrett's going to play like 75%. So that's kind of that that difference that you get of like, you only need 25% replacement for Miles Garrett and you've got that with Okoronkwo. You need 45% replacement when you've got Tomlinson. There's no point paying for one phenomenal DT and you're like, hey, and then we'll just throw out dudes when he's on the sideline. That That is one of my frustrations with investing in defensive tackle. You need four of them because it's such a rotation position. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're hoping Hill or Hurst, one of them, breaks out and performs. And I think Hurst has the edge just because he's we sh- we saw the flashes in uh, Oakland and San Fran before the injuries happened. But yeah, I just I think they need a little more. And I think if the fact that Ionitis is still available available is baffling. I just hope uh, if he's still lurking around, Andrew Barry makes that magic happen and brings him in to the fold. But uh, Anthony, do you got any more questions for Jack before we wrap things up? I don't think so. I think we covered quite a good, uh, quite a good amount of it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, these final touches of the roster, you know, I know training camps right around the corner. Um, you know, I think they're pretty much done, but anything they add from now till the start of the season is a bonus. I think, uh, I think they're in a really good spot. Yeah, I do too. And you know, mandatory mini camps next week. And then we got about a five, six week window where there should be no news and, well, training camp starts a little earlier in mid-July, and we'll get things rolling. It's, it's unbelievable. It's the Browns. There's always news. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining the podcast. You've been a very integral part of our podcast uh, throughout the last six years. And as we roll into year seven, uh, we appreciate your friendship, and uh, we appreciate the entire OBR crew over there. They've always been good to us, and uh, we appreciate that you were a part of us, and then you got to move up to the OBR, and you're doing fantastic work. Go ahead and plug everything you guys got going on over there. Um, no, always good to jump on. Um, well, we're doing a position room week by week. So this week, it's wide receivers, which just – no, tight ends. Wide receivers last week. We're in tight ends this week. So what I tend to do for all of my weeks is like predicting the 2023 roster, 2024 roster, and the 2025 roster. Because why stop at one year? Um, then I've got some position stuff where we look generally looked at deep dives, like what happens with this player's contract or other projection stuff. Not actually doing that this week. So just because Friday when that article would generally come out is going to be the 2nd of June. So I'm going to do a look ahead to sort of where their salary cap position is that day and sort of what other moving pieces are going to happen during the off season. Um, Then um, if we look ahead to um, the weekend, each weekend, I've just been doing like an explanation piece, looking at an element of the salary cap, how contracts work. And just sort of explaining a bit more around it as a, a bite-sized piece each week. So, uh, yeah, that's there. But every week there, there's at least five articles, six this week, because the Zarius Smith numbers finally came out. But, yeah, pumping out content. Um, and if there's something you want on that contract article piece, read it. I've got the list of what's in it on there. Um, but then just shoot me a DM um, and I will happily add more and more to it. And we'll keep building that so that everything's there. If you want to know what happens with contracts to do with incentives, boom, there's a nice little section for you. I, I, I do have one thing I would like to see. The, the cost of trading up next year into the top three to draft Marvin Harrison <laughs> Jr. <laughs> top, 
top three ain't going to cut it because the Cardinals <laughs> are going to have the number one pick and the number two pick, and they're going to take a quarterback, and then they're going to take uh, the wide receiver. So I want them so bad. I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's already done. But I'd lo- I, I would love to see them finish with the first and second pick and then see the Texans get absolutely slaughtered for that horrendous trade. And, and then have the, they'll, they'll pick 32nd because the Browns won the Super Bowl. I'll take that. I'll take it too. But yeah, guys, go and check all of Jack Duffin's fantastic work over at the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, his Darius Smith article is behind the paywall. It's a VIP exclusive, but I will say, because I've been a subscriber there for a long time, it's the best 10 bucks you can spend per month and you get Paramount Plus. So that's a, it's a great deal to have. Um, like, And you guys have any questions for Jack Duffin, be sure to DM him on Twitter at Jack Duffin. Um, but as we ramp things up, as always, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Jack McCurry08. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony Jokey. Follow the Dogland at the Dogland uh, for all the Browns content. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, we should be back next week with an episode. I'm going to try to work on a guest for mandatory minicamp. Uh, but until next time, Browns fans, as we get on out of here, as always, go Browns. <laughs>